Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You want to reply? You want to reply the point? Okay. Mr. Wawrinka wants to reply the point. And good evening. And welcome to Replay the Point. Today is Monday, February 27th, 2017, special Monday night edition. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen joined by Jared Pine of A Second Serb. Good evening, Jared. Good evening, Pete. Yes, and this is the time of year right now, Jared, February, and uh, concurrent uh, ATP 500s now. This is the third consecutive week where we see a 500 on the ATP calendar, and uh, we've got actually two of them going on this week, but we're going to start off talking about Roger Federer, the 2017 Australian Open champion who signed a contract, Jared, to play in Basel, Switzerland through 2019. Um a lot of people, a lot of Federer fans, a lot of tennis fans, a lot of sports fans excited the possibility of Roger Federer playing three more years, including this one, and uh, possibly even knocking on the door of the Tokyo Olympics in 2020. Uh, a couple days later, he said, well, he has every full intention of playing Basel as long as he's still playing tennis. And, uh, you know, some of his body language, uh, particularly in the semifinal and final of the Australian Open, led me to think that uh, – the end was near, possibly as soon as Wimbledon, but Roger Federer says, no, uh, I'm going to keep going. I want to get your thoughts on that one. Yeah, it seems like it's been about five, six years now already where we've been talking about when's Federer going to retire, uh, really more than that. Um been a long time, and now we're talking another three years of speculating when's Roger Federer going to retire. So um, the guy likes mystery for us, I guess, um, because we're going to be talking about this a lot longer um, if he really is going to be playing until 2019 Basel, potentially 2020 Tokyo. Um, Federer's career just doesn't end, and it's so impressive what he's doing at this point. And, you know, every time we talk about Federer, we we mention as a qualifier his age. Um, but really, if he was 25 doing what he's doing now, it's, it'd still be incredible. Very true. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, one of the press conferences at the Australian Open – Somebody had uh, asked a question, or starting to ask a question to Federer, saying, "You know, we, we, uh, you've been hearing about people wanting you to retire now for the last five years or so." And, and Federer stopped the question right there. He said, "No, eight. And uh, that's about right. I mean, amazing. Uh, even he was really in his prime at that point in time, but people were still, you know, wanting him to step aside. And again, the same people that uh, ask those questions are the same ones that want to get somebody back in action after they formally announced their retirement. I saw that loud and clear with Pete Sampras, but you're right. I mean, Federer doing what he's doing currently, boy, uh, you know, if he was doing this 
10 years prior, like you said, uh, all good for in the in the world of Roger Federer, and seems very comfortable right now to uh, to really call his shots and and perform and play like he wants to. Almost uh, taking a page out of the Williams sisters' book of uh, you know really being more selective on what he plays, lightening his schedule quite a bit. And that said, Jared, I want to ask you a question: How much, uh, if at all, are we going to see Federer play? the clay court uh, tournaments here um, going forward. Uh, obviously, I would think he would be at Roland Garros. He has no points to defend there, did not play there last year. But uh, do you think we'll see him play any of the Masters 1000s on clay this year? Yeah, he he typically does skip um, Monte Carlo. A lot of the players like to skip Madrid. The players aren't a huge fan of that particular event. Rome really is a nice uh, tune up if you're a guy like Federer, who's only playing for the majors basically at this point in his career. Obviously, the a 1000 should never be called a tune up, even though John McEnroe likes to do that. Um, but if you're Roger Federer and you're only playing for the Grand Slams, and you're you you do want to get at least one event in before Roland Garros, so I, I imagine he'll at least play Rome. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if Roland Garros is the only clay event he plays all year. That's a good point, and uh, yeah. I uh, I asked Nadal that question, uh, sort of that question in Cincinnati a few years ago, saying, you know, you're 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 playing well here in Cincinnati, getting ready for the U.S. Open, uh, and and he he stopped me right there in my tracks and said, you know, this is this is a very important tournament. Uh, this is not you know a lead up into the U.S. Open. This this is a very inter- important tournament for me. So absolutely no discounting the uh, 1000s at all. They're they're fantastic and. Um, they're they're treated with the utmost respect by most of the field. And Jared, one of the two ATP 500s that's taking place right now is south of here, south of the United States, Acapulco, Mexico. Uh, incredible uh, draw that we have down there, including none other than Novak Djokovic, who is playing this career this event for the very first time in his career, accepted a wild card into the event, and uh, nice to see him. Uh, your thoughts on? how and why Novak Djokovic decided to play Acapulco this time around. Yeah, this is quite a surprise. Obviously, this week he's normally by. He's had some mixed results there. Um, Dubai's actually been kind of a nice predictor in Djokovic's career. If he does well in Dubai, he tends to do well for the rest of the year. Um, The years where he loses in Dubai, it's usually not a good indicator for him for the rest of the year. Um, And last year, obviously, he pulled out um, after his match against Feliciano Lopez, um, had a little bit of an eye issue, and we saw him then go on and win Indian Wells and Miami. So this year he decides not to play the event, and then last second decides, hey, why not go to Acapulco? You know, it's close enough to Indian Wells, same time zone, beautiful city, um, pretty easy transition to go from Acapulco to Indian Wells. Plus, Indian Wells starts on a Wednesday. If you're one of the top seeds, you're going to get a first-round buy. So he almost will have an entire week off in between Acapulco and Indian Wells. So why not? Um, he's really got nothing to lose. This, um, this is a free event for him, more or less. He's taken a wild card, and he can pick up some free ranking points. He doesn't have a whole lot to defend, and he usually plays less than the maximum of four, 500. You're allowed to play four, and um, four that count for your ranking. And he usually plays less than that. So this is really a free event. He's got nothing to lose. He's going to go out there and have some fun. And I think that will be a nice change for him. He only plays in the 1,000s and uh, Grand Slams for the most part. So he never really has a pressure-free event. 
Well, now he has that in Acapulco, so I think this could do him some good. I like you. I like the way you painted that picture. Absolutely, um, did play a little Davis Cup there, uh, struggled a bit, but got the win for Serbia. But uh, a time to enjoy, if you will, if you're Novak Djokovic. But uh, he might not be able to enjoy for too long, Jared. Tough, uh, tough little section he's in. He is the number one seed as a wild card. He's going to open up with Martin Kleesen, who has won two of these 500s last year, Rotterdam and Hamburg, uh, right out of the gate. Good uh, stern test for Djokovic. And then um, he could very well have one Martin Del Potro in the second round. Obviously, we remember that Olympic uh, right out of the gate. Uh, tough sled for Novak Djokovic there. Del Potro getting all the way to the gold medal match. And also in that section, Jared, a possibility if uh, Djokovic takes care of Kleeson and Del Potro that he may have... Nick Kyrgios waiting for him in the quarterfinals. So uh, I don't believe uh, those two have played yet. Uh, Kyrgios, uh, you know, has played Nadal, has played Federer, has had his troubles with Murray, but I do not believe, I believe the head-to-head with Djokovic and Kyrgios is 0-0, so that would be interesting if that takes place. Kyrgios playing some pretty good tennis last week, but um, I want to get your take on uh, the fact that Novak Djokovic is in Acapulco, but uh, wow, that, that top Top eight, uh, first three matches could be barn burners out of the gate. Yeah, and even if his draw falls apart, he's still getting Francis Tiafo, one of the great American teenagers right now. Or he could get a red-hot Donald Young in the third round or a Bernard Tomic, who's obviously very talented. Um, but I'm really looking forward to those potential matchups of Del Potro and particularly Kyrgios because Kyrgios has been an interesting one where when Murray is playing against Djokovic, Kyrgios will go on Twitter and cheer for Murray openly. And then there was another incident where Djokovic threw threw his racket or something, and Kyrgios tweets it and says, you know, if I had done this, I would have been suspended for such and such time and started complaining about Djokovic not being suspended on Twitter, you know, openly where everyone can see. So I'm I'm not even sure Djokovic is aware of that. There's a good chance Djokovic has no clue. Kyrgios is doing this kind of stuff, um, but I am very curious what the relationship between those two players is and what it would be like to see those go head-to-head for the first time ever. I'd, I'd love it. That That's a very appetizing scenario there. Uh, let's let the tennis do the talking, and uh, wow, yeah, absolutely. That, that could be intriguing. It, it's also interesting, Jared, that Kyrgios uh, seems to be uh, an Andy Murray fan, if you will. He's He's had no success against Andy Murray. I mean, Murray absolutely owns him. He's played fairly well at the Australian Open before he runs into Murray, only to get mowed down. So uh, I, I'm not uh, sure where the, uh, where the, the, you know, almost too much respect that Kyrgios has for Murray there. That's got to change if Nick Kyrgios wants to accomplish what he wants to on the tennis court. And uh, we're going to take a look at a couple more matchups here in Acapulco, an, an American section of the draw, Jared, the top half, uh, top portion of the bottom half uh, well, we've already had a match Steve Johnson taking out number 8 seed John Isner 4-4 four and four. I believe this is the third consecutive time Johnson has taken Isner out and uh, Steve Johnson awaiting the winner of wild card Ernesto Escobedo and qualifier Stefan Kozlov so uh, all American section here first your thoughts on uh, Johnson's success on Isner and who he can expect to see in the next round yeah, so filling out my drive, picked Johnson to get through this one. I thought he would be Isner. Obviously, um, Isner has the big serve, and he's always going to hold serve. Johnson serves well enough 
to be able to hold consistently against Isner. And then he's slightly better off the ground, slightly better returned. And I think that really makes a difference for him. And the tiebreakers are in those breakpoint scenarios. And I think that just makes it a good matchup for Johnson. So I was expecting him to win that one. He was able to come through. And now he's going to wait on two of these younger Americans. Obviously, Johnson, well-known for being one of the best college tennis players ever. And now he's going to play one of these two guys who decided not to go the college route. Um, so I always like seeing these kind of matchups where it's a comparison of two different paths, one guy taking the college route, one, one guy taking the professional route. And now that they're both in the pros, see who can win between the two. This is always a fun one. Obviously, Johnson a little bit older, a little bit more experienced. So he's going to have the advantage on whoever he plays. I, I think it'll be Kosloff. Uh, he's already come through uh, qualifying and is playing really well. Um, but I think Johnson gets through to the quarterfinals. Yeah, I, I like the call there, absolutely. And um, the winner of uh, Johnson and either uh, Escobedo Kozlov, uh, Jared, is going to take on um, a, another very interesting portion of the draw here. Uh, we're talking about Borna Chorich is awaiting the winner of Dolgopolov and Marin Cilic. Uh, really nice part of the draw here for, for tennis fans. Chorich, I, again, really impressed with him, uh, what I saw from him in Cincinnati last year, uh, taking out Kyrgios and Nadal back-to-back before losing to Chilich, had to retire in the first set. But uh, Dolgopolov obviously has a nice title under his belt uh, a few weeks ago. And Chilich, we talked about this on the show last week. Jared, you asked me what I thought about Chilich, and it's just not time, his time of the year. You know, there's the North American hard courts uh, in August and, and into the U.S. Open is where he plays his best ball. That said, uh, Marin Chilich, always a threat. But uh, Dolgopolov and Chilich, uh, wh- whom did you have coming out in this one? Yeah, I got Tillich going through to the quarterfinals in this one. Obviously, you mentioned uh, what you saw in, in Cincinnati where Torch is playing well. After that, he went into a pretty bad slump, and it took him a while to get out of it. And it looks like just now he's starting to get out of it. Um, I'm still a little hesitant to pull the trigger on him upsetting Tillich, though. I think, um, you know, two countrymen going head-to-head. Uh, Tillich is a veteran. He's going to have the advantage in that one. So, uh, I went with Chilich to move on to the quarterfinals there. Good call. I like that. And, um, you know, we, we talk about the young guns making inroads, and we a few more to talk about on this show. But Chorich, you know, it feels like he's been around for a while. And, uh, you know, again, we had some conversations a couple years ago about Chorich side-by-side with uh, Alexander Zverev and whatnot. Let's not forget uh, Chorich still very, very young. And uh, as we've seen on the ATP Tour, Guys are just starting to play some of their best tennis in their mid, late 20s, early 30s. So, long way to go for Borna Chorich. Uh, looking forward to following his career arc, if you will, and we're already getting a chance to see some exciting stuff uh, on tour from, from Borna Chorich. And, Jared, I uh, want to shift gear. Any, first off, anything more from uh, Alcapulco before we go across the world to the other 500 in Dubai? Well, certainly got to make mention of Rafael Nadal playing there. This is the first event he has played in since um, they've announced that Tony Nadal, this is his last year working with Nadal. Um, so I'm really interested, interested to see how the rest of this year will go for Rafa. Um, how's he going to respond to that? This is, a, this is a change for him in an area of his life where there has been zero change just about all of his life. Tony's been the one constant for Nadal that and his ferocious forehand. Um, so to see a, a big change like that, I'm, I'm really interested to see how 
Nadal's going to respond to it this year and what his year will look like. This is the best we're going to see for him. Uh, so this is a very interesting tournament from Nadal's perspective as well. Good call. I, I like I like what you said there, absolutely. And um, someone else we've not seen in action quite a bit here, Jared, Andy Murray. I mean, um, sure, lost to uh, Misha Zverev at the Australian Open. And again, um, we talked on the show last couple times, really, about – you know, what Djokovic has been able to do, as you corrected me, for the last really five, five and a half years and, and really going wire to wire in almost every tournament he entered. And here Murray was doing that for about half a year. And uh, tongue on the ground, you know, probably uh, cost him at the Australian Open this year. Hasn't, hasn't played tennis since that point in time. And uh, here he is in Dubai. Uh, Jared, interesting. Uh, Andy Murray, the number one seed, obviously the number one player in the world. But in his top half, none other than Roger Federer, um, I want to uh, get your expectations on what would be a good tournament for Murray here in Dubai. And then uh, an observation I'm, as I'm looking at the draw, something that puzzles me. I'll, I'll go into that in a little bit of detail. But first, Murray. Yeah, Andy Murray um, obviously had a shortened off season. He really pushed himself towards the end of last year, as you were mentioning, and then doesn't really get a good break in the off season comes to the Australian Open, gets bounced early, and now he's taking a few weeks off, kind of giving himself a second offseason. Um, so this is the, a chance for him to reset all of 2017 for him and use this as a new kind of opening to the season. Um, so this is a chance to really set the tone for the rest of the year. I, I kind of like his idea of taking some time away from the tour. Uh, I imagine he probably had a few days in there where he didn't even pick up a tennis racket and maybe focused on some physical fitness and those kinds of things. Um, I think this is going to be good for him, and he's going to be looking to lift a trophy. He's the number one player in the world, and I think it'll be a good feeling for him to lift a trophy as the number one player in the world, um, and that'll give him kind of the right frame of mind going into uh, Indian Wells and Miami. So this is an important tournament for him. I think anything less than a title would be disappointing for him at this event. Yeah, I like I like that call. And um here's what I've uh, noticed here Jared looking at the at the draw as it stands with uh today's action already uh you know the guys who have played have advanced but number 1 seed Andy Murray is going to play Malik Jaziri uh, of Tunisia and uh, his opponent has already been decided. Guillermo Garcia Lopez took out Victor Troitsky 4 and 3 so um you know Garcia Lopez not seated, and yet he's finding himself in the second round, awaiting most likely Andy Murray. But also, Jared, you look at the bottom of the draw, uh, the number two seed, Stan Varenka, will play Duzmer, and um, he already knows his second round opponent, uh, That uh, if, if Stan happens to win that match. Uh, Marcel Granollier defeated Yuri Vaselli 6-3, 6-2. Something that jumps out at me here is the top two seeds, Jared, uh, should be an advantage to be a, a seed, uh, especially a top seed, and yet their opponents have already uh, are waiting for them in the next round. I, I don't quite get that scheduling in Dubai, where uh, you know most likely Stan and Andy are going to have to play back-to-back days, where uh, their opponents have a day off here. We know it's not that much of a, of a grind, if you will, early in the tournament. Um, you know, some of these matches last uh, an hour, fifteen minutes, no more than two hours, but. I just uh, I don't know if I've ever seen that where the top two guys uh, have still been on the sidelines. Uh, we're not talking about you know the top eight players getting buys at uh, at a ATP Masters 1000. I, I 
I can't, for the life of me, figure this out. Do you have any inklings on what's going on there? Yeah, obviously we're speculating here because we're not privy to some of these conversations that are happening on with scheduling. But obviously the top two seeds, Murray and Vavrinka, are two guys that have a lot of pull. Um, they are the big ticket sellers at this event. Um, so the they get some say in how this scheduling process goes, I imagine. And I wouldn't be surprised that uh, Vavrinka and Murray both requested to get a late start to the tournament so that they could – um, spend some more time wherever they were before Dubai or more time once they get to Dubai, acclimating themselves, preparing, getting some practice in on the courts. Um, it's very possible that those two guys both ask to get late starts, and as a result, they're at a little bit of a disadvantage. Um, but really, I think at the end of the day, it shouldn't affect either of them too much. Okay, yeah, I, I, I like that. Uh, probably they're they're asked when they want to play. I, I, I follow that. Sure, that makes sense. And uh, we're sort of going to uh, meander back and forth, Jared, uh, at the other tournament that's going on in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And uh, what jumps out at me is the youngster, Casper Ruud, the Norwegian. Uh, we've seen his name quite a bit. And uh, not only does he win his first ever ATP level match uh, in a ATP 500, but he Goes all the way to the semifinals. A very nice run for him. Actually won the first set in his semifinal before bowing out. Eventually gets a special exception uh, into the tournament in Sao Paulo. But um, obviously, Kasparud, one of the young guns that uh, has been on your radar, I know, for quite some time. And um, how pleased are you uh, with what you saw or were able to follow on on Rude's uh, march to the semifinals last week? Yeah, it's really impressive, and to get a special exempt is a really nice honor. It's an especially nice honor when you earn it at a 500 for a 250. Um, so basically what a special exempt is means your ranking wasn't high enough to get directly into the draw at the next tournament, and you were going to have to go through qualifying. But because you did so well at the previous tournament, you weren't going to be able to arrive in time for qualifying, so they put you directly into the main draw. So that's a really impressive thing because that means that as a low-ranked player, you're able to get to the business end of a big tournament. Um, so that's a really impressive accomplishment for Rude, and now he has a chance to back it up at Sao Paulo. This is going to be a really big test for him to go back-to-back weeks having success. This is what the best players in the world do, the Djokovic's, Murray's, Nadal's, and Federer's, is they win titles, show up at the next event, ready to compete for another title. Um now, Rude, obviously not at that point in his career, but to, for him to get to um, a semifinal and now has a little bit of a nice draw. He is a Kirsten Thielen and then could potentially get uh, Kovalik or Del Bonis in the second round. These are tough matches, but they're winnable matches. So this is going to be a good test for him um, where he's not facing you know an unbeatable player, but also not an easy, easy opponent. Um, he's going to have a chance now to prove himself. So I'm really curious to see how he's going to respond to this challenge. Good, good call, and uh, you know all these wins at a 500. Jared, is this uh, is this a surprise to you? The fact that uh, he was able to have so much success at a tournament at that level, uh, or you know, was is is this a quicker trajectory? Uh, again, like you said, let's see what happens this week. But those are ATP 500 wins. There's a lot of points and money to, for that matter to go along with that, but. Um, was that a surprise to you as as a really uh, a young gun maven, if you will, a young gun watcher with uh, 
following these guys uh, years ago when when they weren't on anybody's radar was what uh, what do you take away most from uh, you know in in terms of your viewing uh, did did this one knock you out of your chair or or are you shrugging your shoulders saying yeah I I, I could I could see this happening. Well, obviously, somewhere in between. You never expect this. You shouldn't be expecting teenagers to reach the semifinals of 500. That just doesn't happen no matter how good you are. Um, you know, it's, it's not something you should ever expect. At the same time, you know he's very talented. He's certainly capable of this. So it is exciting um, and rewarding to see him have this kind of success, someone that I've been following for a while. So um, now to see uh, that he's making it on, on the tour, he's getting these kinds of wins, this is really impressive. Um, and this is what he's been building towards for a long time. So um, I'm sure he's very excited by the results. And, you know, as I mentioned, now it's a question of backing it up. We've seen guys go on runs like this before. I think of Taylor Fritz reaching the final of Memphis last year. Um, I remember when Alexander Zverev reached the final of Hamburg. That was a that was a huge event. Uh, Kyrgios reaching the quarterfinals of um, Wimbledon, even when Tomic did it at Wimbledon. Um, the challenge is always to back this up and it's very hard to do. And a lot of people are going to just expect you to do it. Okay. If you're good enough to reach the semifinals at a 500, you should be doing this every single week. Well, that's usually not how it happens. Um, so yeah, ex- excited to see where this uh, trajectory goes from here. Is it a steady upward climb or, you know, is it going to be a roller coaster ride for Rude before he gets up, up into the top 10? Good call, and uh, it's exciting to have another new face who, who's put up some numbers on the scoreboard uh, that we can look to and, and have some familiarity, the rest of the tennis fans out there, with with who he is uh, coming from Norway, of all places, uh, to, to make an announcement of himself on the ATP Tour. And Jared, sticking a little bit more with last week, uh, unfortunate result, if you want to call it that, in the Delray Beach final Milos Raonic, after defeating Juan Martin Del Potro in the semifinals, not able to answer the bell. Jack Sock gets credit for the victory, his second tournament win of the year. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Raonic here. Uh, Again, got to be disappointing. The Wimbledon finalist from last year, and his body looks like it's failing him again. Hamstring, he got the job done, got the win over Del Potro, but, um, wow, Crummy luck, if you will, for the uh, for the tournament director at Delray Beach, who also, Jared, uh, the, one of the four quarterfinalists, were, was not played as well as uh, Donald Young got the walkover over Steve Darcy. So, you know, we look at um, the last seven matches: four quarterfinals, two semis, and a final. And two of those seven don't even be. Uh, two of those are not even played. So, uh, a nightmare. But um, want to get your thoughts on Raonic? I mean. Uh, I saw him play a little bit against Kyle Edmund. Looked very thin, Jared. Uh, very, very thin. And uh, lost the first set against Edmund 4-6 before correcting course, winning 6-3, 6-4, then taking out uh, Del Potro in straights but not able to answer the bell. Milos Raonic, what can we expect from him? Uh, again, he wants to win a major, but it's going to take seven best of fives to get it done. Yeah, well, let's say for the – to start for the tournament director, if you're hosting a tournament in Delray Beach and you get uh, Juan Martin Del Potro into your draw, there's nothing that can ruin the tournament. So you're right, um, having those two withdrawals does hurt, um, but nothing can cancel out having Juan Martin Del Potro at the event. That's huge for them to have a name like that there. And uh, for as far as Roundage goes, I'll give the optimistic side of it. At no point in his career has he gone an entire season 
without some injury issues. If he's going to have injury issues, let's have it be in a 250, not in a grand slam. So hopefully he gets it out of the way. It's out of his system now, and he can move on with the rest of his year. Uh, hopefully this is not something that lingers. Uh, we all want to see Ranch be healthy. We know he's extremely talented, and uh, he just hasn't had a chance to realize his potential because of these injury issues. He could easily be as high as two in the world um, at this point in his career, um, but he's been held back by health issues, so hopefully we won't see any more of that in 2017. I completely agree, absolutely, and uh, nice uh, run there for, for Jack Sock again, second title of the year, and uh, uh, swinging it back over to Europe from last week, Jared, Joe Wilfred Sanga wins again, uh, two titles, two weeks, nine consecutive wins for Sanga, uh, playing some very good tennis, hardly dropping any sets along the way, although he did drop one to Nick Kyrgios in the semifinal, uh, the only set he dropped there, but um that's uh, that's a good test there for Joe. Um, he's starting to play some good ball. And, uh, you know, I don't think any of us is surprised when Joe Sanga marches through draws and, and challenges for tournaments. Uh, we've not seen, you know, him able to hoist the trophy too many times uh, compared to, you know, what kind of player he is, his, his talent, if you will. But um, is this the start of something good for Joe Wilfred Sanga? <laughs> that That is the question, isn't it? And, and it's just so hard to know. Um, Sangha is obviously, as you mentioned, he's capable of this. We've seen this all throughout his career, this kind of stuff. And um, I guess how do you define success for Joe Wilford Sangha? Is it winning majors? Um, I don't think we're going to see that. I don't see how he changes it at this point in his career. Um, you know, Stan Wawrinka did it. That's not a model that most players can follow. What Stan Wawrinka has done is unique and special we're not going to see a bunch of players start winning majors out of nowhere uh, when they're getting up towards 30 years old. So uh, I think, you know, we don't learn a whole lot from this title. It's a nice win for Joel Fudsangra, but I don't think a whole lot's going to change as a result of this. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, picking up titles that uh, in some cases he should be uh, at a 250 level, obviously getting a 500 is, is very nice as well uh, for Joe. And I believe he, he has two, I think uh, 1000 said impressive run in Canada four or five years ago. And I think he won Bercy as well. So um, sticking uh, really quickly, Jared, we talked about the tournament where Casper got to the semifinals in Rio. The ultimate winner of that tournament was Dominic team who um, did not drop a set there and uh, played some good, very good tennis. Um, again, we've talked about team more for his scheduling uh, inabilities, if you will, uh, really not uh, being smart about that, uh, frying out early, but a uh, good win for team nonetheless at a 500. Yeah, absolutely. We we haven't had a whole lot of positive things to say about team the last few weeks, so nice to see him win a title and kind of prove us wrong. Um, I think we're both people that want to see him succeed. So we're happy to be proved wrong on this point. Um, really nice to see him win this and excited to see what kind of momentum he can carry into Indian Wells and Miami. These are events he's played well at before, and uh, hopefully we can see him have some more success at these events. Again, I think his game suits those conditions really well. He hits the ball hard and he moves well, and the courts are slow enough to where he can run around his backhand to get to his forehand. I think that is a huge advantage for him. Uh, really works out nicely for him. So I'm looking forward to what he's going to do at those two events. Yeah, good call. And um, India Wells is right around the corner, Jared, and uh, you really, uh, the, you know, 
the people at Indian Wells who who put it on say, you know, we've got the best doubles tournament in the world, and uh, they are challenging the majors with respect to that. Obviously, majors for the men, best of five, not everybody plays doubles. Here we've got um, almost everybody wanting more match play on hard courts for Indian Wells in Miami. And, Jared, a couple things jumped out at me, the doubles partnerships. Uh, one, other uh, than Rafael Nadal, Pairing with Aussie Bernie Tomic, uh, Rafa's won this, I think, a few times with Mark Lopez. We talked before we came on the air. Uh, I believe he played with Verdasco last year, but I'm not really seeing the uh, justification here, if you will, Rafael Nadal playing with, with Bernie Tomic. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. This one just doesn't jive with me. Uh, how about yourself? Yeah, it, it is a bit of a surprise um, for Nadal doubles is almost seen as an exhibition so it's a chance for him to play with a different player and when you're Rafael Nadal you can choose whoever you want he can play with just about anyone so it is a bit surprising to see you know he can choose anyone he chooses Tomic I think that says something I think that's a good thing for Tomic that he's being chosen by Nadal Um, so that's that's a good sign if you're in the Tomic camp Um, for the rest of us it's a little bit head scratching Um, you know but Obviously, Nadal has his reasons. We don't know what all went into that decision. Um, so, you know, it could be a really quick one for these guys. They go out, play one match, get crushed, and that's the end of that. Um, you know, I, I'd be pretty surprised if these guys are making a run at Indian Wells. Yeah, good call. And uh, another one that, that I really liked, um, Steve Johnson is pairing with Vasek Pospisil. Um, Pospisil, obviously, uh, you know, he was scheduled to play here at the Tempe 75 Challenger. Uh, he got to the final the week before in San Francisco. But you know, I was talking with some some people I've known for quite some time, and they they were shocked that Vasek Pospisil was playing Challengers in 2017. And I'm right there as well. But that, that's where his ranking is at this point. Uh, Steve Johnson, obviously bronze medalist at uh, at the Olympics last year with Sock and uh, Pospisil. We know can play very good doubles as well. I, I like this pairing. I really do. Um, I, I'm thinking it's going to be beneficial for both guys, uh, probably more so Pospisil, who really needs to get back in the swing of things on the singles court. Yeah, so in doubles, when you have success, you have two different players there, and you, you never know which one's more responsible for it. Well, Jack Sock has had success with Steve Johnson. He's had success with Vasek Pospisil. Now we're going to see Pospisil and Johnson play together. And if they have success, that kind of says, you know, maybe those guys are carrying Sock. If they burn out early, that makes Sock suddenly look really good, like he's just carrying those two guys. Um, but this is this is an interesting thing for Pospisil at this point in his career. Obviously, Canada's had some good players in the past, but the, the main one is Daniel Nestor, who is known mainly for his doubles. And so far in Pospisil's career, he's been known mainly for his doubles. Um, if he doesn't turn it around in his singles career, I could see him you know, using doubles as a way to get into singles events and basically become a doubles specialist that plays some singles on the side. Um, I, I'm kind of curious to see what the trajectory of Pospisil's career is going to be at this point. If he does at some point just become a doubles specialist, because he's obviously very good at doubles, um, the singles game, he's had some scattered success. And, you know, I think he expects more of himself in singles because we've seen he's capable of it in doubles. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see where this goes for him. 
No, I like I like exactly how you uh, set that up, Jared. And um, you know, before we wrap up tonight, uh, anything else that you want to speculate on, touch on from last week, this week uh, going forward, anything on the ATP tour? No, March Madness is getting started. The real March Madness at Indian Wells and Miami. Um, these are two really fun events. They're basically a, a Grand Slam divided in two, played on the two different coasts of the United States. Uh, these are two of my favorite events, easily my favorite non-slam events. Um, so I'm always excited for this time of year. I'm bummed I won't be able to go to either of them this year, um, but I'll definitely be watching uh, from where I am. It, these are two very fun events. And also, as you mentioned, the nice thing is uh, the, the best singles players go play doubles. So even when there aren't great singles matches going on, there's great doubles matches. There's always something to see at both of these events. And uh, really excited to see who comes out with the trophies at, at both of them. I couldn't agree more. We are right around the corner. So a couple of the 500s and a 250 to wrap up this week, Jared, before again, we are on the doorstep of uh, March Madness. Indian Wells is going to be getting underway soon. So on behalf of Jared Pine, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We'll catch you next time on Replay the Point. Good night. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.